0: Captain America, or Captain Germany in my case, Captain Germany in America. Anyone seen that movie yet? Wow, you're a bunch of moviegoers, aren't you? Tell you, we saw the movie, and I am discovering that uh, you guys like to beat up on Germans in movies. Uh, What was that? Excuse me? Sorry, I'm struggling with uh, with this. All right, got it was a really entertaining movie. It's interesting where we, uh, we cut out here in that clip. If you, if you've seen the movie or if you haven't actually, when he comes out of that machine, this little skinny dude, all of a sudden comes out, uh, looking like Dave Nelson, just buff and full of muscles and bulging just an immediate, amazing transformation from a very unlikely guy into the hero. Um, of that movie, End America, uh, beating up on the Germans. Question is, who or what has made you who you are today? What has shaped you? In this clip, there is a, or in this movie, there is a drastic, immediate transformation of this guy's life. And that's not really how it works for us, at least not for me. I'm wondering if you can point to an event or a series of events in your life that have helped shape who you have become. Maybe things are going on right now in your life that are shaping you into the person that you're becoming, things that are changing. Can be, sometimes it can be a conversation with somebody that all of a sudden shifts things for you. It can be an encounter with somebody. Sometimes that's a tragedy that we go through. Or a very fortunate circumstance, maybe one of you has won the lottery and that has changed things dramatically. If you have, let me know. I'd like to be your friend. Maybe it's a decision that you made at some point. Is, isn't it amazing how small decisions can completely change the co- course of our lives and who we become? I know for me, there's. I can point to several incidences in my life that have totally changed the direction of my life and have really then led to changing who I've become. One, one of those incidences was breaking my ankle when I was on the cusp of, of becoming a professional soccer player and that completely being dropped pulled away from me, completely changed my life and led me to a really a deep spiritual church uh, uh, search of, of, um, of my purpose in life and led me to Bible college, which led me to really committing my life to Jesus and, and going into ministry. After that, the most significant event in my life, changing the direction of my life, had, was meeting my wife, Sandrine. And you know what? I want to... Honey, I didn't tell you this, but would you come up here real quick? Just for... Yes. Just this last week, I had two or three people who've been here, and we've been here for three years, ask me, we don't even know your wife. So I want to make sure that you all know my wife. This is Sandrine, and I love her. (laughs) Thank you, baby. Meeting her completely changed the direction of my life and made me, in in large, the man that I am today. And you know that behind every great man, there is a surprised woman. Do you know that? (laughs) The the next event that changed things, and if those of you that have children know that, the birth of our children completely changed things. The first child changes everything. The second one, it's okay, you can handle it. And then three, you're outnumbered. Four, you're just insane. But my children have changed me. And then most recently, my time in Colorado in February, where I was just really deeply struggling spiritually. And Jesus just speaking into my life has changed things for me. has has turned my life in a whole new direction. I'm sure that all of you can point to events like that in your life. Events, encounters, decisions you have made that have made you, shaped you into the person that you are today. Large part of who we are is due to our circumstances, our environment, the culture we grow up in, and other people. And that's no different for the man that we're going to look at. And actually, it's five weeks, not four. For five weeks, we're going to be looking at Moses. We're going to look at the things that shaped Moses. Especially today, we're going to look at the making of this unlikely hero. The things that led to a, a little baby who shouldn't even have survived the first few days. He shouldn't even have survived the first day of his life. And I will tell you a little bit of that story. He turned from a fragile baby who shouldn't have survived the first day of his life and he turned into a captain israel i want to call him not captain america but he turned into a hero for israel and that's what we're looking at today the making of a hero moses to this day is considered israel's most influential prophet he's he's probably the biggest hero in the history of israel what was really interesting for me on my first trip to israel as a school exchange a student in a school exchange I, uh, I spent the evening at my host family and the sister of my, my host student came home and we talked about school and she said, yeah, we had history today. We, she, her main topic that day in school was history. And I said, well, what did you talk about? And she said, oh, we, we looked at Moses leading Israel out of Egypt. And I was like, for the first time I realized that what I considered just a, maybe a spiritual story in a, in a book that we read at Bible for people in Israel, Israel is actually national history. And so t- in these next few weeks, we're looking at a man, Moses, who's not just some mythical fictional figure in a book. Moses was a historical man, a figure in the history of Israel and a man who was greatly used by God. And today we'll look at the early years of Moses' life and how he became, who he became. And this story is found in Exodus chapter 2. Exodus is the second book of the Bible in the Old Testament. I'm not going to read the whole chapter to you. I'm just going to tell you the early history of Moses' life, and then we're going to dive into that a little bit more. So in Exodus chapter 2, we find Moses being born to a, a Hebrew slave woman in Egypt at this point and I, I, I can't give you all the context, but the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, were living as guests, so to speak, in a part of Egypt where they had been allowed to live for decades um, under the protection of, of the, uh, the, the pharaoh. They had really come as a large family clan and then had grown into a nation. And all of a sudden, there was a new pharaoh who was afraid all of a sudden of the size of this nation that was growing within their country. And he said, we've got to do something to control these people. Otherwise, they're going to outnumber us and take over so he started enslaving the hebrew people living in egypt using them for labor heavy heavy labor oppressed them hard and still they grew and grew in numbers and so then he came up with the plan of having the midwives who helped develop the hebrew women uh, deliver their babies to take all male babies and kill them immediately now they refused to do that and then he put a plan in action where his army, his, his Egyptian army was then in charge of finding all male Hebrew babies and throwing them in the Nile River. Horrible plan to continue to, to oppress the Hebrew people and continue to use them for his own and his nation's benefit. And so there is this woman um, who gives birth to Moses and it tells us in, in Exodus chapter 2 that right away she noticed he was special. Now, I think every mother thinks her baby's special. But she, she thought Moses was special. And she right away gave him, they started hiding him. And eventually, it became too dangerous to hide him. And she knew she couldn't do this anymore. And she gave him to his sister, Miriam, his older sister, and said, put him in this basket and, and secure it. And they put stuff around it so it wouldn't sink. And she said, put him on the Nile River and let him float and we'll pray that somebody will find him and take care of him. And lo and behold, he, he, he floats down the Nile River and eventually ends up at a spot where the royal family would take their baths in the Nile. And the daughter of the pharaoh finds this little basket with a screaming baby inside. Now Miriam, Moses' sister, had followed along on the shore to see what would happen and to possibly protect the baby if necessary. When she sees that, the, that Pharaoh's daughter picks up Moses... She then approaches her and says, you know what, I know somebody who can nurse this baby for you. And so then Moses is given back to his actual birth mother to nurse him and to raise him for a while. And eventually, then Moses' mom has to give him back to the princes of Egypt. And I just can't even imagine what that would have been like. We're not really told exactly how long that period was, but it must have been a few years until he was, he was not nursed anymore. Um, it must have been enough time where he realized that he actually was a Hebrew, where she could instill in him that he was actually a Hebrew by birth, that that is where his allegiance really was, and prepare him for the separation and then being raised in the palace. But eventually she actually has to give up her baby and hand him to another woman to raise him. And so then Moses, and we don't know, but I would say probably young as a young child, then he is raised not in the home of a Hebrew slave, but he's raised in the home of the king of Egypt, of Pharaoh. He's raised as Pharaoh's grandson. And so, in this whole time, the people of Hebrew are opp- people of, of the Hebrew people are oppressed and enslaved. And at some point, Moses now has grown into a young man. He wanders out and observes what's going on on these sites where, where the Hebrew people are working, and he sees an Egyptian guard ba- beat up a Hebrew worker really, really severely. And in him, this anger just wells up. And I. I have to imagine that that comes from his his upbringing in his mother's household in his parents household where he knew that's really where he belonged and seeing that injustice just brought this anger up inside of him and he took the guard looked whether anybody was was witnessing this and killed him in anger out of his sense of justice the very next day, he goes back to observe the Hebrews working, and he sees two Hebrew workers fighting with each other. And he goes and, and wants to, wants to uh, bring peace and then says, guys, why are you hitting each other? What's going on here? And one of them turns around and says, what are you talking about? You want to bring peace? What, are you going to kill one of us too, like you did the Egyptian? And all of a sudden, Moses realizes, man, that wasn't in secret. This has gotten out, and fear grips him. And he knows he can't go back to the palace. In the meantime, Pharaoh hears about what happens and wants to kill Moses. And Moses has to flee. And he flees to Median, where he eventually sits down at a well to rest. And uh, it's a watering hole. And there's a a group of seven sisters who are herding their father's flock come with their sheep to, to give them water. And at the same time, some male shepherds come and they bully around. They push the girls to the side and say, "Wow, well, you, you put, go over, we'll, we'll water our sheep. And Moses, again, can't stand the injustice of that. Now, I do think there were some ulterior motives. There were seven girls after all. But, uh, but he goes in and says, no, this is not right. And he helps the girls and waters all their, their sheep. And they go home and tell their dad. And eventually <laughs> they invite him into their family and he marries one of, one of those girls. And in the meantime... In the meantime, we read in the very end of chapter two of Exodus, it says that the people of Israel in Egypt were crying out to God, crying out for help, crying out for deliverance while Moses is is in the desert fleeing. That's the story. That's what we're going to. We're going to pick it up at his birth, and we're going to end it right there. And then over the next few weeks, we're going to keep going through his life. But as we look at this part of his story, and if you want more details, I encourage you to watch DreamWorks, The Prince of Egypt. Very accurate uh, depiction of it. I don't know if you've seen it. Um, This is where we want to pick it up. Before we do this, let me pray. Um, Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for... For Moses and for other characters, Lord, I, I just love learning from real people, looking at their lives and, and seeing how you worked in their lives and how you used them and learning from their mistakes and their failures and their successes. Lord, I just pray that you would bring this story alive for us and that you would speak into our hearts and that we can learn from how you shaped Moses, how you used the events of his life to make him the man that you wanted him to be. And I pray that it would encourage us, that we would pursue what you have for each one of us in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that, uh, that we get to be here. Please speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. There's three aspects of this part of the story that I want to focus on this morning a little bit. And the first one is that God's grace works behind the scenes. God's grace works behind the scenes of Moses' life and of your life and my life. Really what we see in these early stages of Moses' life, his, his, uh, even the, his, the story as a baby when he has to be given up by his mom and brought back and then again given to the princes of Egypt and raised in that, in that palace, we see God's providence in Moses' life. It's interesting to see how, how Pharaoh's evil plan, evil plan to kill thousands of babies actually led to a Hebrew baby being raised in his household as his grandchild being set up to challenge him decades later and take the Hebrew people that he wants to control out from under his grip. That's God's redeeming story. You know, when Moses looked back at his life, he could have looked at his life, and maybe he did look at his life and said, Man, why? Why did all this happen? Why did I have to be born at this time in these evil times? Why, why was my family oppressed? Why did I have to be taken away from my mother, from my brother, my sister, my father, why did I have to be taken away, be raised by somebody else? Why do I have to live in this tension between two worlds, between two cultures, between languages and why? And I'm sure it wasn't easy. I'm sure there were many, many struggles, and I think those questions are totally legitimate. And I'm sure there were times where he totally wished things would have been different. And I think the encouraging part of this story is that the circumstances of Moses' life, the circumstances of your life and the circumstances of my life, can be redeemed and used for God's purposes. He uses the good. He uses the good experiences that we have, and he uses the negative experiences that we have. Now, that doesn't mean God orchestrates those things. God didn't make Pharaoh kill those babies. God doesn't make people make sinful choices that affect you and me, that shape your life and my life. People have the freedom to make certain choices. The beauty in the midst of this is that God can take those events, that he can take those circumstances and the effect that they have had on your life and on my life, and he can redeem them to where they become qualities that God wants to use for his glory and for his plan for your life. I introduced my wife to you uh, just briefly in the beginning. Sandrine grew up in a family that was anything but ideal. She grew up in a, in a family with a father that was very abusive, who was violent, who, who just made some sick choices in, in his relationship with her mother. and It was, it was a bad situation growing up in. A lot of scars that she carried away from that and i 'm sure many of you have had experiences like that, whether that was in your immediate family or or extended family or other other surroundings or circumstances that have deeply hurt you and wounded you. The beauty again is that God can come, that God wants to save, and that God wants to redeem those things and turn them into qualities that can be used to bless and heal others and God has given Sandrine a ministry even here at k two where she where she helps people work through these events in their lives that have deeply wounded and hurt them and allow Jesus to speak healing into that and speak freedom into that. And that's the beauty of Moses' story and that's the beauty of the story that God wants to write in your life and maybe is writing in your life and has written in my life and in my wife's life. See, God needed a Hebrew to lead his people out of Egypt. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit. I'm going to tell you, Moses is eventually going to lead the Hebrew people out of Egypt. All right, I'm going to give it away. He's going to lead them out of Egypt. God needed a Hebrew to do that so that the Hebrew people would accept him, would, uh, would follow him and follow his lead. But he also needed somebody who would be familiar with the, with the, with the Egyptian culture, who would have the confidence of, of facing the leader of a nation, who would know the, the etiquette and, and the, the, who would have access to the palace. And so God orchestrated the life of Moses to set him up. See, when Moses eventually came back to Egypt and approached Pharaoh about the people of Israel, Moses walked back into his childhood home. Moses walked into an environment that he was very, very familiar with. He went to a land that he knew, a people that he knew, customs that he knew, a culture he was familiar with. But at the same time, an affinity, a connection, and, a com- and compassion for the people of Israel. Another aspect of the story that encourages me is that sometimes God can seem so distant, so absent, and so inactive. I am sure that during these decades, and by the way, Moses was in Median for 40 years, for 40 years before he went back to Egypt. And I'm sure that during that time, the the Hebrew people in Egypt, they were crying out, we read in the end of chapter 2, crying out for help. And I guarantee you, they felt abandoned by God. They felt that he was silent and inactive. And that whole time, he was preparing their hearts, and he was preparing Moses to be the one who would lead them out of that situation. I want to read to you from Ephesians 1 verse 11. Ephesians 1 verse 11 says, In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Let me read that again in him. We were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. What this is saying is that we have been chosen by God. You have been chosen by the almighty God to be in a relationship with him so that he can bring your life into conformity with his greater purpose so that you, like Moses, can become part of the greater story that he is writing. God chose Moses, and God is choosing you. You are God's chosen tool, and he has a plan for you. Sometimes it's hard for us to see that plan, isn't it? You might right now not see what God has for you, but he has been working behind the scenes of your life, just like he has in Moses. He has been working behind the scenes in the good and in the bad. He's working behind the scenes of your life to bring you to the place where he, can, he, he will plug you in to his plan. See, Moses was able to use his experiences of his life growing up, his story, Allowing God to redeem it and then to use it. And that's what he wants to do with your life and what he wants to do with my life. God's grace is working behind the scenes of your life. The second aspect I want to look at in this early story of Moses' life is that God's grace is working in our hearts. God's grace was working in Moses' heart. He's working in your heart. Not just was God working in behind the scenes in the circumstances of Moses' life. He was also at the same time working and preparing Moses' heart for what was to come. We can see from the very beginning of Moses' life some of the character traits that God had placed in him, some of the passions in Moses' life and i can 't help but think that some of those were were passed down through his family. We see that that uh, that um conviction in moses mother's life this this strong will to not give in to the injustice of pharaoh and to work against the system to to hide moses and then to go to the extent of of releasing him on the river and 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 protecting him at all means and then we see in moses life the first really glimpse that we get of his character is the anger he feels when this hebrew worker is mistreated we see a deep sense for justice and a passion for justice And then we see that same justice uh, when he he helps those seven sisters when they were mistreated. Throughout Moses' life, we see this, this character trait of justice for the mistreated. He's moving into action strongly to intervene when he sees it happen. We also see a heart for God and for his people. And again, I can't help that that began to be instilled by his mother, by his parents in those early formative years that he spent with his birth mother. But we see a heart for God and for his people. We see that that his priorities were not shaped by the wealth and the privileges he grew up with. He was willing to put that all on the line when he stepped in with that Hebrew slave. He was the son of a princess. He he maybe even been a potential heir to the throne of Egypt. But we read in Hebrews eleven, and I'm just going to quote this in Hebrews eleven twenty four. It says that Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. See, in that moment of seeing that Hebrew slave so severely mistreated, it would have been so easy to ignore that and go back to the comfort of the palace and enjoy the the privileges he had there. But the sense of justice that God had instilled in him didn't allow it. He couldn't do it. It wasn't in him. Now, killing the Egyptian guard was not what God wanted from him. God gave him a sense of justice, but murdering was not the plan, which just shows us that the end doesn't justify the means. We can have great godly passions and just causes, but they have to be submitted to the will of God. And for all of us, that means maturing them. For Moses, it meant maturing them, submitting them to God and allowing God to cultivate that passion and and, and then to direct it. We see that not only with Moses, another guy that we see that with in the, in the Bible in the New Testament is, is Peter. Peter is a guy full of passion and enthusiasm, but it had to be tempered. It had to be matured. It had to be submitted to Jesus. We see at some point when Jesus tells them, yeah, you guys are all going to desert me. And, more, and Peter goes, no, never. I will be with you. I will die with and for you. And not a day later, he denies him three times. In the meantime, when Jesus gets arrested, he pulls out a sword and chops off a guy's ear. Again, a great passion, a great commitment to want to protect his friend and savior. But Jesus says, no, no, Moses, uh, uh, Peter, that's that's not it. It's okay. Hold your horses. He heals the guy. And both Moses and Peter and others, you and me, have to go through a period of, of maturing, of, of really learning humility with the gifts that God has given us. I really think that, that pride is the number one problem with our passions and the gifts that God has given us, that when we use them pridefully, it becomes more destructive than helpful. And so Moses needed refining and maturing. And that happened then when he had to flee. That happened in Median in those 40 years, and I'll get into that a little bit. So who are you? Who are you and how has God made you? What passions has he given you? What gifts has he created you with? And how are you using them? Do you have this, this strong sense of justice that Moses has? Do social injustices just get you upset? That's good. Do you have a strong sense of compassion? Do you have an eye for the needy around you and, and the desire to do something about that? Do you maybe have a, a strong sense and gifting in business? Does God maybe, has God maybe given you an, an incredible gift to earn a ton of money? Maybe that's what he's given you. Maybe he's gifted you in the the area of arts where you can just write beautiful poems, where you can create amazing pictures, where you can create amazing music. What has God given you? What are you passionate about? Maybe you are passionate about serving others. Maybe you have a gift to see what needs to be done and, and the, the, the ability and strength and, and capability to do it. Maybe you're a communicator. Maybe you're somebody who can really capture people and communicate things and, and motivate people. Whatever you have, I know you have gifts and maybe I haven't mentioned them, but how are you using them? Are you using them submitted to God and and fully being used by him? Or do you and I slip into the mode of using them for our own purposes? Moses surely was not in the right to kill the Egyptian. He had that God-given sense of justice, but it was his quick impulsive move that, that wasn't quite right. But his heart for justice and his heart for the mistreated was God-given. Sometimes it's hard for you and me. I know it's hard for me to give God the time to develop these things. I have an issue with patience. I'm sure Moses did too. But one thing we read later on about Moses is very revealing. It's in Numbers chapter 12 verse 3. Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, Moses is described in this way. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Early on here, we see Moses as a a pride young man full of enthusiasm. Maybe he thought he could get away with anything. Maybe that's why he he stepped in in that way. But Moses, and God knew this, Moses needed humbling. Moses needed humbling so that he could become the hero that God needed him to become. And so as a result of this act of of perceived justice, Moses had to flee, and he fled to Median, and he spent 40 years tending his father-in-law's sheep. 40 years tending his father-in-law's sheep now that would be humbling god had to take him through those 40 years to make him the humble man that he needed him to be and i'm sure another thing moses needed to learn there was patience because lo and behold he would spend another 40 years in another desert (laughs) a little bit later and he needed a lot of patience with the people he was leading And I'm sure that Moses lived with with a lot of guilt and fear those 40 years. That he carried the guilt of killing that man. That he carried the fear of what would eventually maybe happen. What would happen if he would return? There's another man in the New Testament who kind of had a similar story. He also had taken lives. And he he writes about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's the apostle Paul. He was the number one persecutor of the New Testament church until he had an encounter with Jesus. And in in the letter to the Corinthians, he writes in chapter 15, verses 9 and 10, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God but by the grace of god i am what i am and his grace to me was was not without effect for i am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because i persecuted the church of god but by the grace of god i am what i am and his grace to me was not without effect see it was god's grace that redeemed moses story it was god's grace who redeemed the evils done to his people as a baby it was god's grace who redeemed his story as somebody who had taken a life it was god's grace who redeemed moses and taught him humility and patience and submission to his will so that he could become the hero he needed to be It was grace that transformed Paul's life from somebody who who had intense passion for God, misguided by persecuting the church. God's grace stepped in and redeemed that story and redirected that passion and zeal submitted to him. Another hero of faith in the New Testament. See, what God was doing for Moses, what God was doing for Paul, What God is doing for you and for me is that he's preparing his tools for his task. He's preparing your heart and my heart for the things he has planned for you and me to accomplish with and for him. So God's grace working behind the scenes of Moses and your life. God's grace working in Moses heart and in your heart and my heart. And thirdly, God's grace is working to save God's grace is always working to save. See, in the end of Exodus chapter 2, while Moses is in Median, it says, and i said it before, it says the people of Israel were crying out for deliverance, crying out for freedom, crying out to be saved from their oppression. And it says God heard the cries of his people says he heard them and he cared for them. He remembered his covenant with Abraham and he had concern and care for the people of Israel. And God is going to move and he is going to work. He's going to accomplish his will for the people of Israel. And at the same time, he is looking for people whom he has, whom he has uniquely prepared and who are willing to be used by him. He, so God knows he has this plan of redeeming Israel. He's going to do it. And he's looking for who is willing to be used in that process. Now he has prepared Moses to do that, but Moses has to make the choice to be the one being used. So here is really, here's the point of this whole message. God has worked and is working in the midst and in spite of the circumstances of your life. God has been working in the midst and in spite of the circumstances of your life ever since you were born. He's been working behind the scenes, using the events of your life, the good and the bad. At the same time, God has been preparing your heart. He has created you with certain gifts and passions. And when you came to him and submitted your life to him, he added a spiritual gift or gifts to that mix. So he's been working in your heart and in your life as well as the circumstances of your life. And here's the beautiful thing. When your experiences and your gifts and talents become and start intersecting with God's greater story, that's when the true adventure begins. When your life and everything that God has laid into it and your will and your experiences start coming together with God's will and his plan. That's when the true adventure begins. That's when you're going to see unbelievable things being done in your life and through your life. That's when you become a hero of faith. That's when you can be used by God to save people. You might not lead a nation of millions into freedom. But you might be used by God to just lead one person to freedom from the sin that so entangles them. You might be used just for one person to lead them into healing, to lead them out of loneliness, to lead them out of sickness and out of despair. have a look at ephesians again ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 and 5 and 8 to 9 ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 and 5 says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgression. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. And then verses 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. It is God's grace. It is God's grace who's worked in your life. It is God's grace who has worked in your heart. And it's God's grace that wants to save people around you. And it's God's grace that wants to use you in the process. We're actually called God's fellow workers. We are co-workers with God by His grace. There's people all around you. There's people all around you in your life who are crying out for freedom there's people crying out for deliverance who are just waiting for you to say yes god i want you to use my gifts and my passions and my experiences good and bad and intersect them with your will and use me in the lives that surround me send me to the people you want me to you want to send me to God is hearing the people's cries and he cares deeply about them. And he's looking for people to move into the things that God cares about. Are you and I willing to do that? And I want you to know, Moses, we call this an unlikely hero. Moses was an unlikely guy to do that. And you might sit here today and say, what do I have? What can I do? This room is full of unlikely spiritual heroes. God has given something to you. He has instilled things in your life. There might be events in your life that you bemoan where you say, man, this just, it disqualifies me from ever being a spiritual hero. And it's that very event that God wants to redeem and use. What has he given to you? How has he prepared you? And who is he sending you to? We are all, if you're sitting here, you're part of this faith community. What needs do you see here at K2, the church, that that tug at your heart, that tickle the passions inside you, that, that bring out the gift that God has given you? What do you see around you? What dissatisfies you at K2? Maybe that's the area where God wants to say, this is what I've prepared you for. This is what I've given you that gift for. Let's do this together. What has God given you where can he use your experiences and your gifts to join him in what he's already doing here at k2 or in this city i want to ask the band to come up and i just want to tell you just like moses you are an unlikely hero in the making god's grace continues to work behind the scenes of your life might be an event tomorrow That devastates you that God is going to redeem and turn around and allow you to to be to be humbled and to be prepared for what he has for you. God has created you in a certain way with gifts and passions. And God has a greater plan, greater plan that you and I can engage in with our experiences and gifts. And when that happens, the true adventure begins for you and for me and for this church. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for guys like Moses, for totally unlikely heroes. A guy whose life story wouldn't set him up to be the leader of a nation. But you redeemed things. You redeemed the bad. You used the good. You prepared his heart. You gave him passions and gifts. And then still he felt so inadequate, but you gave him the strength to do what you had called him to do. And, Lord, I pray that anyone who sits here today who feels unqualified and weak, Lord, would you just show them that that is exactly what you want, that those are the people you want to use. Lord, show us the gifts that you've given us. And Lord, help us to submit those to you. Help us to bring those events and those scars, those wounds that we carry with us. Help us to bring those to you and allow you to redeem them and to heal them and turn them around into into events that that make us strong and help us bring healing and freedom to others. Lord, help us rise up in our hearts and just be eager to see what you have for us individually and for us as a church. The task that you have for us, the people you want to send us to, to use us to bring freedom and salvation into their lives. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace that redeems everything. In Jesus' name.